The How Is This Movie podcast is supported by listeners just like you. Go to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. There you can pledge as little as a dollar a month and help us maintain the goal of keeping this show fully independent and free of advertising. You will also gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else. Once again, that's patreon.com slash howisthismovie. And now for our featured presentation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to How Is This Movie? My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you for taking just a little time out of your day to listen. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at How Is This Movie. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash howisthismovie. You can always email me with questions or comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review on whatever platform you use to listen. So we are back one week later. I'm back with Mike Gallagher of the Amateur Auteurs podcast. Mike, right out of the gate, I want to tell you we've got some great feedback on last week's episode. So I'm super happy to have you back. Oh yeah, and it's, it's I'm I'm glad that people are you know really receptive to the show and our conversation. That that makes me excited, and yeah, I'm really ex- excited to have this uh, part two of the conversation. Now, before we jump into it, I listened to your latest episode in which you had filmmaker Jim Hemphill on, basically talking about his journey, if if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though I, I'll admit I knew a good portion of the story because I'd had him on the show before, he is still incredibly fascinating to listen to. And there was a lot of new stuff I picked up from him. I'm listening to the episode going, oh, I didn't know that about Jim. Oh, I didn't know that about Jim. And uh, I encourage everybody to be sure to check that episode. And once again, there'll be a link in the description of this episode for Mike's podcast. But so how was yeah, talking and, to Jim? Oh, and yeah, thank you for that uh, That saying it was a great show. And, and it was. And, you know, we had those technical difficulties. I know there were definitely some wind chimes and crickets in the back but you know did our best with it yeah you're completely right he's such an a fascinating person to listen to to speak because there were those as i was editing it and, and mixing it there were long segments when jim was just talking and i and i remember specifically brian and i were just sitting there and just looking at the phone and just being like wow like just taking all this knowledge and this experience in and yeah and and i had known a good amount of the story at least from your your episode with him and there were things that he said that i was like wow like very similar to you that wow i didn't know that happened like mentioning his sister and and how the escaping the the what film meant to him and, and escapism that really kind of driven driven that point home for me and it was, I don't know, I was, I was speechless when I when I heard that, but it was just a great and fun time talking to him. And I'm currently trying to, and we did talk about The Last Jedi, and I'm trying to mix that as well and, and hopefully release that by tomorrow, um, Monday the 20, 23rd. So Excellent, excellent. Well, that's perfect. And I'm sure you're going to have him back on the podcast again because he, he's terrific. Oh, I definitely hope so. <laughs> so when we left off last week... We had essentially gone through and discussed the original trilogy and the prequels at and the special editions, I might point out, at, uh, at uh-huh. great length. And, you know, I don't want the listeners to, to think that we're just going to be negative about Star Wars the entire time, because we did show a lot of love for the original trilogy. We did highlight some very good points about, a few good points about the prequels. But this time around, I think we're both going to unanimously be singing some or saying some high praise about the next film we want to talk about. But let's just talk about the lead up to 2015. So in 2012, seemingly out of nowhere, it's announced that Disney is going to be acquiring Lucasfilm Limited for $4 billion. And George Lucas mm-hmm. is essentially going to hand off the reins to right out of the gate. It was looked like it was going to be Kathy Kennedy right out of the gate that was going to be running Lucasfilm. Now, mm-hmm. That purchase of Lucasfilm included a few other properties, but make no mistake about it, Disney paid $4 billion for one property, one intellectual property, and that's Star Wars. Yeah. So 
what are your initial thoughts when you when you heard that? Did it generate excitement in you? Were you kind of like, huh? Because I, I want to start with saying by 2012, they were we were four years into the Marvel film cycle, and and Disney does own Marvel. So I immediately had some reservations, but I'd like to hear your initial thoughts when the acquisition was announced. So 2012, I guess I was a, I was a sophomore in high school, and I guess I was, I think I was, what, 17, quick math. At that time, I was starting to get into film, and, you know, the collection was rising, and, and, and starting to experiment with different films. And so and when I heard about Disney, I had a very similar reaction of, wow, that kind of came out of the blue, and didn't really know what to think about it. Now, I'm not really super into the Marvel movies, and not because I don't like them or anything. It's just I feel like I've been so far behind that I feel like to really appreciate, you know, the Avengers or any of those movies, I have to start from the first Iron Man, and there's just so many movies that I just kind of fell behind. But so, but I have seen a few of them, and they're very competent, fun movies. So I guess going in with that in my mind, especially where it's at now, from there, like the Iron Man's and, and Captain America's, I was thinking, you know, maybe this is good because we love like we all love Star Wars. And if this means that at that time, a Star Wars movie a year as as per the Marvel uh, machine thinking, yeah, this could actually be really cool. And, you know, talking about and that is actually something that I bonded with. I mentioned last episode with my buddy on the lacrosse field, this acquisition of lucasfilm from disney and we're like wow like what are they going to do the in our minds we were optimistic that you know they're going to tell those expanded uh tell the canon stories that you know that i didn't really get into but i had heard of and like wow this could actually be interesting like we'll have a trilogy and then the spinoff explore the universe of star wars so i think we were pretty hopeful that hopefully it wasn't going to sell out because you know disney being this huge franchise having tons of money that I, we, we definitely knew that the visual spectacle was going to be amped up and and showing my hand a little bit. I think the the, the spectacle that is Star Wars is still I think is, a, is even better than it is been before. And I feel like they're constantly pushing that technology which is what we thought was going to happen. But we didn't really think of how the executives were really going to be influencing this. We thought it was going to be handed off like very much like the first uh, the new hope in that. We're going to get different filmmakers, ambitious filmmakers making Star Wars and just and especially people that grew up with Star Wars, the new generation of Star Wars. But that's so that's what our mind is going into in 2012 and then 2015 rolls around and then episode seven. They quickly announced that they were going to move forward with a new trilogy. So we knew we were going to get an episode seven. And there was a lot of speculation on who they were going to tap to be the director of the next Star Wars film. A lot of people were looking at Steven Spielberg as a potential. You know, that would have been great. When they announced J.J. Abrams was going to be the director, I was immediately on board with that. Because I've yeah. always been a fan of J.J. Abrams. And I think he is a very unique storyteller in the fact that he can, and this is something we'll touch on when we get to The Force Awakens, is that I think he can blend a serious story with some very subtle humor that works in a film, a la the Star Trek reboot. So I was not worried about J.J. being the director. What I was worried about was, and I have been saying it for years, okay, I, I don't get into the Marvel films. I, I have come to find, I've come to, have a new respect for the Marvel films because like you just said, they're they're very competently made and they're, you know, they're they're visually done well and they're interesting and they're fun. And, but but for me, I could never get into them because I didn't ever feel like there was any real stakes involved 
because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't want to see Iron Man 2 because I knew that Iron Man was going to be fine. I didn't want to see Captain America Winter Soldier because I knew he was going to be fine because Marvel's already announced their slate of the next 23 movies that are coming out. Yeah, So exactly. So if your characters are never in any real peril, to me, that loses a lot of its luster. This is one of the reasons why I've kind of stopped going to see the James Bond movies. So... I kind of said this in an episode back in late 2014 that, hey, you know, I got to tell you guys, I'm I'm a little concerned about this because if I know anything about Disney and I don't claim to be an expert, is they're going to start pumping out these Star Wars films once, possibly even twice a year. And what was great about the original trilogy and what was kind of worked in theory with the prequels was those three-year gaps, building that anticipation. And we'll get back to what I think now we're three years yeah. out, close to four years out from the first film. But the teaser trailer for The Force Awakens was released, I think it was Thanksgiving weekend of 2014. Uh And that was that really simple, you knew nothing. John Boyega is the first person you see on screen. You see um, Kylo Ren's lightsaber. And that was the... Yeah, and the whole... um, And just interject the whole um, retelling of uh, Luke's re-recording his dialogue that he said to Leia about, you know, the Force runs strong in my family... Uh, it runs in me, well, runs in my father, runs in my sister, and, well, and like it's just that buildup. No, yeah. no, no. It's interesting you say that because because that was actually the that was the second teaser trailer. And, oh, the and, second. Teaser. And the reason okay. no, but the reason I know this is because when that very first teaser comes out, and there's no uh, there's no dialogue, there's no nothing. It's just a little. You see BB-8 for a second. You see Next Wing, and it ends with just a shot of the Millennial Falcon, and 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 it just says Star Wars Christmas 2015. I made the decision right then and there that I'm not going to watch any more trailers. Mm. So for the next year, they released another teaser trailer, then they released a full trailer, then they released a a third trailer. The second teaser has that dialogue where you hear Luke re-recording Luke saying, you know, the Force runs strong in my family. But I didn't know any of that until after... I saw The Force Awakens because I went on a trailer embargo. So when I say I went into 2015's The Force Awakens almost completely blind with no point of reference, I had none, huh. which, which was a great experience, by by the way, because yeah, I had imagine. no idea. Take me through your anticipation with all the trailers you did get to see leading up yeah. to The Force Awakens. So that's interesting that th- I didn't even know there was a, that was a second teaser. Um because I say that because that's the only thing in my memory that I remember seeing. I don't remember where I saw it. It was probably in a theater and being blown away by it. And, and yeah, in, in essence, I was super excited seeing it. I thought I completely agree. When I heard that J.J. Abrams was directing, I was pretty excited. I'd seen the first Star Wars – or not Star Wars, Star Trek remake. I thought it was very energetic, very interesting. Uh, I was a big fan of Lost. I know he was a you know big proponent of pushing that show forward, despite how it gets kind of crazy at the end. I liked it, but that's just me. I also like Cloverfield. I thought that was a really good mix of – it was. I thought Cloverfield was a good mix of uh, found footage and putting a little twist on it with the monster genre. And so I was like, yeah, this is this will be interesting. And then – the teaser comes out, and I thought it was pretty awesome. Uh, in that, it was just it, it felt. In it's like uh, I mentioned those what if series from and uh, last in last week, and in that episode he says a big thing that he keeps repeating in themes is it has to feel old but new. And I thought that this was really, really pushing that idea. And in this, these, and I love teasers. I think teasers are the best types of trailers because they don't give enough away and that it's just a little hint uh because some might i mean i don't really watch too many trailers because i think they give too much stuff away but i remember the force awakens trailer really blew me away i thought the mad max fear road teaser trailer blew me away because it just focuses not too much 
on dialogue, yeah, there's some dialogue that really pushes it forward, but it's really about the visuals, the sound effects, and the music. So when I saw this first teaser, I didn't have that fanboy reaction. Like, you can go on YouTube and type up, and people are like, oh, the Millennium Falcon, and they're, like, <laughs> screaming and stuff. It's, like, pretty comical. I didn't have a reaction like that, but I definitely had a smile on my face, just like, here we go. And... And I, and I was just really excited and because I thought the trailer, obviously, they're going to show those things that get the fanboys in, you know, or like the fans in with the Millennium Falcon, uh, Han and Chewie coming back saying we're home. Like I knew that stuff was coming, but there are these visuals that I had no idea what to think about, you know, John Boyega as a black stormtrooper and as the first thing we see. And that was kind of like the a big thing of the original movie that it was whitewashed and that there wasn't any diversity. And then Star Wars started started suddenly having much more diversity and, and just like kind of not natural. I thought it was just there just to, just, to, just to say, oh, yeah, there's there's other people than white people in this world. But now it's like, okay, now we have a black stormtrooper. And then we get cuts with, you know, R2 in the rain with Luke holding on to him, which uh, it's like, looks like a burning temple in the back. Like, what's going on? The Millennium Falcon going through what looks like Tatooine, which or it's a desert planet going through whatever, doing, doing flips, TIE fighters, like, oh, man, this is intense. And then Han and, Han and Chewie. So that really got me set. I think I watched that so many times. I watched breakdowns of it just to see what it was about. And then, honestly, that's kind of the only trailer I remember watching. Uh, I guess the other ones that I, I'm sure I'd seen other ones, but they didn't really, I guess they didn't have any spark with me or resonate with me because the only thing I remember is that first teaser. And then I remember watching the uh, the, the first looks of J.J. Abrams, like really putting love and attention into this movie with, you know, there's that return to practical effects and puppets and, and things like that, that made the original Star Wars great. And I was like, wow, like this, we're going to get away. I mean, obviously CGI is going to be involved, but it looks like there's going to be kind of that return to form in the original. And I was going, I was really hopeful about this movie uh, going into it. And, you know, I was really looking up what, what the, when it was coming out. Uh, funny enough, I didn't actually see it. I mean, I saw it the opening weekend, but Brian actually saw it, uh, let's say like the night before. So if it came out on a Thursday or a Friday, he saw it Thursday night. And I am so jealous of him because I couldn't even imagine going into and like this movie's being hyped, a lot of people are going in saying like this is going to, as any Star Wars, I think, because uh, this is the first Star Wars in what the last movie in ten years, and and people like J.J. Abrams, there's practical effects, like all this hype for it, and then Brian goes into Philly, and I think he went for free because he started a, a film club at his college, and they were able to get a budget, and I think they saw it for free. So he saw it through the budget of his of this club with his friends in a Star Wars heavy theater. Like the Star Wars comes up and people are applauding and going nuts, which I am so jealous. I wish I could have been able to be in that experience. But my theater going experience was still great. So I remember seeing that again with my dad. Brian and I actually did a podcast episode. This was like back right when we started. And we did a first impressions and we just I think we just raved about the movie, how great it was. And then I think I had seen it three times in theaters and once was in IMAX. And I think IMAX is the movie depends. It either works or doesn't, in my opinion, I think. But Star Wars, it definitely worked in IMAX. So I that was my experience just really embracing it and taking it all in and really just delving into the conversations. For me, I, and I'll, I'll admit now, this was the most anticipated movie for me in years because I had been so let down by the prequels. 
And the prequels also taught me to curb expectations for every movie moving forward. And that's that's kind of a sad thing in the sense that you get so hyped up for a movie, you're so convinced that you're going to love it, and then you don't love it, and it teaches you to almost be, and I don't ever want to be considered this, but almost be a little cynical about movies that are going to be released. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was the experience for me seeing The Dark Knight, not not seeing it like leading up to it. I'm like, oh well, oh, okay. you know, yeah, this is. Uh, I hope it's good, you know. Instead yeah. of instead of going, man, this is going to be the greatest movie, and it ended up being the greatest movie. Oh, yeah. Um, the last time I had been this excited for a movie was um, 2012's Dark Knight Rises. Because I love the Dark Knight so much, and everybody else was back. All Nolan, everybody was back for the third one. And, and so I was absolutely just, you know, batshit crazy. Couldn't, pardon the pun, couldn't wait to go see the yeah. movie. And absolutely loved the Dark Knight Rises. And I know that's a, you know can be a contentious subject for some people. Some people don't mm-hmm. like the Dark Knight Rises. I absolutely love it. Now, having said that, I was more hyped up for this Star Wars film because there was a yearning in me to get that magic back, to get that mm-hmm. original trilogy magic back. And I mean, I was, and I even did an episode of this. I, I, I even had dreams about going to see the movie. Like I yeah, had three, I think I remember yeah, I, listening I, to this yeah, episode, literally, yeah. Yeah, I literally had dreams about going to see the movie. You know, I didn't see it on the Friday it came out. I didn't see it on the Saturday. I saw it the Sunday morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, IMAX. Like you said, I'm, and that was the way to, that's the way to see it. You know, I tell a, a great little story about, you know, in the IMAX theater, they have the rows of two seats on each side, as I call them, the twosies. And this mm-hmm. particular IMAX theater hadn't gone to assigned seating yet, and I... Uh, you know, I didn't buy two tickets for this one. So I was just sitting <laughs> in one of the seats and it was so packed. And, and right as the movie, right, Mike, right as the movie was starting, <laughs> the Lucasfilm logo comes up on the screen. The crowd is so silent. It was, I mean, I know some people would cheer, but it was just silence and anticipation. This lady just stands right in front of me. and She goes, is anybody sitting there? And I'm missing the crawl. This is what I've been waiting for oh, for 10 oh. years. And I just looked at her. I said, yes, my girlfriend is on the way. And, and she says, where am I supposed to sit? And I said, I don't know. There's a seat up front. And I, she went right to the front row. Long story short, at the end of the movie, I was still just taking it in, sitting in the credits. And, and that lady's just staring at me, knowing yeah. that I did not turn over my seat <laughs> to her. But that being said, with The Force Awakens, for a movie that is two hours and 15 minutes long, it moves along at such a great pace. And I would dare say it is probably the most well-paced of all the Star Wars films. And in a sense, and I think you get some of that pace. I think I think you get some of that really good pace because you are so quickly invested in the characters. And that's what I want to talk about right now. I want to talk mm-hmm. about the new characters and I want to talk about the old characters. Because I think we both unanimously agree that we both really liked The Force Awakens. And we're going to talk oh, yeah. about, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the, 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 you know, the critiques of the movie, you know, the elephant in the room, if you will, the, mm-hmm. the yeah, Death Star in the room, if you will. But I want to start with the new characters and we'll just jump right in and we'll talk about Ray first. So right out of the gate, this movie introduces some very affable, likable, charismatic characters. We'll start with Ray. What were your impressions of her? Obviously, the Luke Skywalker, I don't want to say clone, but like kind of like that new character, very similar on a desert planet, very young. Um, but I, I definitely, she's, Daisy Ridley is so charismatic in this role. And you immediately, at least me, like I, I, I just loved her performance and, and just how charismatic she was and just gripping and very vulnerable, which I think is something that 
makes the audience sympathize with her. And you get those really interesting... I, I love her introduction in the film in that she's a scavenger in this big Star Destroyer or like the, the fleet ship. And she's just going through it scavenging. And, and, and this is when we really get scale in the, in the Star Wars universe for the first time in that you never really understood how big these things were and how, you know, the regular soldier fit in one of these things and, and like and there's no scale and her going through and roping through the what was that like the thruster in itself you're like wow like this thing is huge so you're getting both that massive scale and world building and it's starting to kind of tickle that part that curiosity part in your brain because you're like why are these star destroyers in this planet just randomly just rotting away and so and then so there's that and but you're learning a lot about her and that I got that she was curious and that she was, you know, a survivor and that she's going through. She gets her cool little speeder, which, you know, appeared in the teaser. And then we get to Jakku. I was about to say Jetta because I just watched Rogue One. But uh, Jakku, the place, and we're starting to build her that she's, you know, kind of getting just barely getting along. She's stuck in this rut. But it's not it's not the same as Luke who wants to leave. She actually wants to stay on the planet. And and I think that's. Great. She, we're learning that she's compassionate, uh, you know, saving BB-8, who I love. But she saves him, forms this, strikes up this companionship with him. But she's waiting for something. And there's, you know, we get her in the downed AT-AT uh, or, the, or the walker. She's down there, which was awesome seeing that. And and then she she's uh, she's scratching on the wall. She's she's making tally marks of I'm assuming how long she's been living in this walker. And you're like, oh, what is this? You you're getting she she has uh rebel uh rebellion pilot dolls that she's had since she i'm assuming since she was a kid and it's kind of just slowly building this character and you're like well who is this is she a dreamer like luke is she just a scavenger in this world like who is she and i thought that mystery and then you get that you know like i said you know striking that companionship with bb-8 and and things like that and and she's looking for her parents and we get that and that's why she's waiting and then the film goes on and you just love her and, and you just love seeing her her success and everything that she does. She's a great actress. And and then you get that uh, that eventual kind of the the traditional. She gets her in, in, uh, in Ma's canteen, the new cantina, with the visions of touching Luke's uh, old lightsaber. And with this whole flash of what her destiny should be. And she rejects it. But then, you know, and this is like an hour and a half into the movie. But I just so I guess the. The, sh the long way of saying it is I love her and I and very immediately grabbed my attention. JJ does a great job of establishing in a very short period of time establishing how long she's been in this situation. And I just think that that's a credit to him as well. I mean, we're, we're talking within the first 12 to 13 minutes of the movie. You know, we've already established that this is this is Ray. This is her lifestyle. This is how she lives right now. Oscar Isaac's character, Poe Dameron, he's introduced. He's really the first introduction that we get. He's the first character oh, we yeah. get. And I always like to mention this part because when he is captured by the stormtroopers, the new stormtroopers, and brought in front of Kylo Ren, he's dropped to his knees, and Kylo Ren sort of bends down. And when Oscar, I want to say Oscar, when Poe says, who talks first? Do you talk first? Do I talk first? You know, there was, for me, while I was in the theater, there was this sigh of relief mm -hmm. that this is a movie that is going to have some humor in it, but not slapstick. 
I think yeah. it's going to have a little bit of smart humor. And so I instantly, right then and there, again, talk about J.J. establishing who a character is in a matter of moments. He immediately establishes this is who Poe Dameron is. Unfortunately, we don't get much of him in the movie. Yeah. And so that was a bit of a disappointment. But what he is when he is in the movie, he is suave. He is cool. He is never worried. He's never overwhelmed. He always has a way out. And I just thought yeah. he was brilliant. I have to say, like, that first joke, it was one of those things that both worked and didn't work for me. Okay. And that, like, I remember, because I feel like the, my thing with Star Wars, and this is going to be, like, for the rest, especially with Poe, but, like, specifically these Disney Star Wars is, yeah, it's great that the humor is infused in that they know what, they're setting the tone right off the bat. But it's also weird because there's no sense of, death and loss in this movie in my opinion and 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 these films because so right before he says that line the stormtroopers have they which i love the in the like speaking of the in the opening shot real quick we get this big star destroyer coming over this planet and and then we get like the drop ships and it, it reminds me so much of like d-day world war there's a lot of world war ii imagery which like hunkers back to the original, which is what George Lucas had infused with these, uh, with the, and this is, and it still continues as a pattern. But I, I got a lot of, you know, these these troopers as D-Day troops, which is weird making that because these are the bad guys, and I'm thinking of American troops or the Allied, like the good, the quote unquote good guys, and these are the bad guys. So you're just really drawing on that imagery, and it's very like, wow, it really sucks you in right away, and then it drops. Well, and then we get to the this little village and and Poe and uh, Max von Sydow and talking about this this message the map and but then they drop and it's just this village gets massacred with very excellent like just great kinetic i guess violence but just action i guess i should say and it's it's more it seems more realistic in my opinion because it's more gruesome and or it's i don't want to say gruesome it's more realistic because there's more characters on both sides like the one stormtrooper who i guess was finn's friend and he gets shot, and he's, like, bloody. And it, it kind of reminds me, uh, I don't know if you watch Rick and Morty, but one of the jokes in the first episode, um, it's, it's like, Rick and Morty, and they're doing their adventure, and Rick throws Morty a gun and says, oh, like, shoot them, they're robots, it doesn't matter. And Morty shoots this this bad guy, and he starts screaming, like, oh, no, like, my leg, and it's like, tell my wife I love them. And and I'm like, this kind of reminds me of that scene, not not played for laughs though because now before we watched countless people get you know killed in this movie with no consequences but now it's like this guy got shot and he's like bloody and wiping it on on finn you have a and you can mark him but now it's like there's there's like now there's blood introduced in this world and i kind of like that realistic tone of violence and and it's like very wartime now but now getting back to my original point of poe like, this village is, like, set on fire. People are about to get massacred. Kylo Ren is this, like, intimidating figure. And he says, oh, like, who talks first? I talk first, you talk first. Now, it works to set the character of Poe, but I don't think the joke really worked because there's, like, death and destruction all around him that I feel like no one, like, you don't want to joke to this guy because he's about to go slaughter this village. Um, so that's just kind of my opinion. Uh, it's take it or leave it for well, me. No, like, no, it kind of... Yeah, I was going to say, but that's interesting because in another film we're going to chat about a little later on involving Poe, mm -hmm. I'm going to agree with you wholeheartedly about what you just said there for the yeah. exact same reasons. So, yeah, no, you I think you do make a very valid point. You're right. You know, but I think it works. I think his character works like like 
amazingly throughout the film like when him and finn get together like that scene is just awesome it just feels like two buds like playing a video game which is how it should feel and 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 i love him and again i I don't think he's used enough in this film and or like when he makes his appearance um at ma's cantina like that was one of the best visuals of this movie and we'll get to that in a a moment but i think in i think uh, Oscar Isaac as Poe is great. I think Poe is that de- is a definite character that's needed, but I don't think the writers really know what to do with Poe. You know, I, I think they want him to be like the new Han Solo, but he's not in the movie enough to be Han Solo. The scene with them while they're on the when they're on their starfighter, Finn rescues Poe, and they, they line. He says, "Why are you helping me?" And and Finn says, "Well, because it's, it's the right thing to do." And he's like, "Well, you need a pilot." He's like, "I need a pilot." You know, like, like that like, worked. That works. I thought that was great. That that worked. That works better than the Kylo one. But that, like, but I like that humor, like that type of humor infused in a film like this. I really that worked for me, pretty yeah, much throughout fun. the yeah. entire film. There was a couple ones, you know, when he's asking, you know, Finn's asking Ray, you know, boyfriend's your boyfriend. You got a boyfriend? Yeah. Like that. I was like, oh, that one's okay. That one. So, some of them are some miss. Some of them are misfire. But that type of humor, it was totally worked for me because it was the same humor. He did that exact same thing in Star Trek. But I feel like oh, he was yeah. still able. JJ was still. I feel like he was still able to keep the serious tones when they needed to be serious. Oh yeah. And speaking of Finn, John Boyega. A British actor who does an amazing American accent or whatever type oh, of accent yeah. he does, because I did not realize he was British until I saw him in an interview later on. Like he's, oh yeah, he he's, ter- I mean, he's terrific. He serves the purpose of just like, yeah, the first order is bad and, and like not everyone is indoctrinated and that there are defectors, but he also is that, you know, that fun character to have. And, you know, he has those moments like, oh, he got a boyfriend, cute boyfriend. Uh, I, and like that, you know, I'll take it for what it is, but. Uh, my favorite is like, oh, I'm in charge, Phasma. I'm in charge. Yeah. Like it's like it's he's that like he's that character. I thought he did a great job and just adding more uh, again, further adding energy to this role. And and he just seems like such a bro. I mean, I love what there's a video of him with his with his like buddies when the first trailer, I guess the teaser trailer was was uh, was released, and they're all fanboying, just like, oh my boy, my boy, and. And I love it because he's just such he just seems like such a bro that like a dude that I'd be like, hey, when I go like, let's go get a beer together and let's just sit down. But I, I thought that his energy was was definitely needed throughout. And because he definitely kind of made the, the stakes real, but he also lightened the tone a little bit. And just his and he's got such a presence that, you know, you just can't help. But, and, 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 and then his chemistry with with uh, with Daisy Ridley is just amazing. There's so many ways that he works in this film. And I couldn't I could give him the highest accolades for this film. Absolutely. Now, we also need to talk about, and this is what I wrote. This is one of the first notes I wrote down when I rewatched The Force Awakens a couple days ago. I wrote down that these new characters are so charismatic and so likable that I would have been content watching this movie without any of the old characters being reintroduced into the film. And to me, that is a mark of of really, I mean, you did, I mean, JJ, you did a great job really establishing some new characters. And we have to talk mm-hmm. about BB-8, which I think is just one of the coolest Star Wars characters of the nine or ten films that have been done. I just think he is, or he or she, or, or it, whatever, whatever BB-8 is supposed to be, yeah. is just one of, I mean, to, to me, that is the, I think, you know, you always want to look at what 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 gets into the pop culture after a movie is released. Obviously, Kylo, and we'll talk about him in just a moment. Kylo certainly got into pop culture. Daisy, all of them. BB-8, I think, was the biggest pop culture phenomenon to come out of The Force Awakens. What are your thoughts on BB-8? 
Oh, I absolutely love BB-8. I love his design. He's practical. So, I mean, obviously there's like when he's running, they have, you know, guys in green suits and, and controlling him, but it's all magnets. And it's so, it's, it's, it's so interesting watching this, this little droid move and, and, and go about and, and you know, it's real. I just love those details of like when he's rolling away back towards like in the first shot of the movie. And he's, I guess, technically like the first character that is introduced in this whole, this whole film. And very much like the droids in uh, in A New Hope, which I think is is, is awesome, and and that will address the that kind of go into like the Death Star in the room, as you say. And but I just love like the imprints that he leaves in the sand. Like you just it just it's got weight, and you know it's there. And I love the practical effects. But BB-8, what I what I love about puppetry, and it whether it's you know Sesame Street pu- uh, puppets or, or like robots, and what I love about R2 is how they're able to em- emote emotions and and elicit these emotions and they're just they're robots and and i think i don't know who the set they apparently had two uh, uh, quote-unquote voice actors for bb-8 and one of them was bill Hader, yeah. which is interesting and they just i think they do so much they take what everyone loves about r2 and they just add to that here with an interesting design they make him a character and you get like in the in the last gen like oh happy beeps happy beeps buddy but I, my favorite uh bb-8 part in this is when they're fixing the ship right the millennium falcon and it's like right before though you got a boyfriend cute boyfriend and it's when finn is saying oh you need to tell her where the where your base is because i'm not with the rebellion but like it's okay like i'm a good guy and i love the moment it's like oh like go tell her bba and he looks back and forth back yeah. and forth and there's so much personality and then he look like it's it's a robot that is figuring out like who do i side with and then sides with Finn, and then Finn gives him the thumbs up, and and BB-8 takes out that little lighter thumbs up, and that I that was my favorite jokes in the movie, and it it works. I was like, this is just so fun to watch this, and BB-8 just keeps that tone throughout. Uh, it's just like the he's just he's a cute little robot, and I love him for or him, her, it. I, I love BB-8. And that was it. I mean, I dare I say I came away from that movie with like that was my favorite character in the film of a film that I loved almost all the characters. So, I mean, I was just, I went out and got the, you know, that ridiculously $200 BB-8, you know, remote control that you can control with your <laughs> your iPhone. But it works. It works amazingly. It communicates with you and it, it, it's practical, like you said, and the head can ah, come so off cool. the body. And, and it was, you know, I've got this little thing. It, it doesn't really work well on, on carpet, but, you mm-hmm. know, on the kitchen tile, I mean, this little thing is just going all over the place. So, so I love BB-8, but... I think one of the more interesting characters in the film, and we mentioned this last week when we were talking about how wasted Darth Maul was because it's important to have uh, an antagonist throughout your trilogy, your quote-unquote trilogy of films, and we're quickly introduced to Kylo Ren, and Kylo Ren's introduction to me, putting the the Poe joke aside... You don't really know where you stand with him until Phasma shows up and says, Sir, the villagers, and he just looks over at them and just says, kill them all. Yeah. And that was, to me, that, that I was just like, in the theater, I was just like, oh. And, and yeah. that was it. And I was like, okay, so this is this is a real baddie right here. Th- this guy this guy is a real baddie. But then you f- then come to find out he's a hell of a lot more complicated than that. And I found oh, that yeah. to be very interesting. Instead of, you know... With Vader in New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, you know, he's Vader. He is, that's, this is who he is, you know. You get, he gets a little more complicated in Return of the Jedi, obviously. 
But we see the, the complications of Kylo Ren throughout this film. So please, your thoughts on Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren immediately was this inti- – obviously the Vader-like uh, character, but – and I knew it wasn't going to be as, as clear-cut as that. What solidified – you said the when he decided, like, kill the villagers. Like, that, that was like he's real. To me, though, the moment where I realized that this guy was a badass and no one to be messed with was when Poe pops around the corner and shoots a bolt at him, and Kylo does something that we haven't seen, at least in the films – and he he turns around and stops the bolt of energy, thermal energy in midair, and holds it there. And he holds it there for the duration of the scene. And he doesn't. And he does. And he's doing it with his mind. He's like yeah. he stops it and and he freezes Poe. And then he puts his hands down. And he interacts with Poe and interacts with the villagers and and the soldiers. And then it and the bolt it, it lingers there until he's on his ship. And then. Uh, I guess he makes eye contact with Finn and then he walks on and then the bolt just continues its path. And that to me was like, wow, this is bad ass. Like this guy is doing things with the force that we have not seen before. And then you get his lightsaber, like the double hilt. Uh, it, it really looks like it will one. What's cool about it. One, it's the double hilt is really calls back to uh, knights and stuff like that. But I think what's more interesting is that it's, it's, it's very crudely built in that, it's not a it's not a solid stream of energy. It's just like jagged and janky, which I think is awesome. And and that goes into his character of, which we soon to find out. Like he's he's essentially just a kid, and and it's interesting because at, when I saw when when Adam Driver first takes off his helmet, I thought he was well. You, you're implied that he's a kid because of his temper tantrums and stuff, which are great. But when he takes off his helmet, he looks like oh, he obviously he's supposed to look like he and Daisy Ridley are probably like very similar ages, but he looks like he's like 19 or something. He looked like he was my age when I saw this film, and I'm pretty sure Adam Driver is not my age. But it was it was just very interesting the way like you're just like it's a kid in his dad's business suit. Like it he just looks like a child, like clean, like he's got the flow, like a lax bro flow, and he's got a fresh fresh face, and he just he just doesn't he just looks out of place, which I think. Just gave him even more character um, the moment you see him like that. Some other characters in the film that I found to be very interesting. I don't want to get into the Wasted Potential one just yet because we're going to touch on that one in a moment. But General Hux, again, mm-hmm. here, here's a character who throughout this movie I'm still trying to establish is, you know, who is he? I mean, who is he in relation to Kylo? Is is Does Kylo take orders from him? Is he... You know, the Grand Moth Tarkin of of this particular franchise, the speech he gives before they fire the uh, the, the weapon again, I just that one gave me goosebumps watching in the theater. Oh. I mean, that was that was but to me right then and there, that's when he established who he was to me. OK, so this this guy yeah. is somebody serious. Don't fuck with him. But I, I was still trying to grasp with where in the hierarchy of the First Order. I mean, obviously, he's general. So that would tell me that he's the general of the, over the First Order. But. But his relationship with Kylo, he seems to be the only person that can sort of talk back to him a little bit and sort of say, hey, no, no, you know what? We're not going to do another clone army. Like, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. I was always still trying to figure out by the end of the film, you know, where he was on the hierarchy. But I was really fascinated with his character and, and, you know, put this in your back pocket. Really interested in to see where they were going to take him in the episode eight. We'll get to that one in a little bit. What are your thoughts on Hux? Yeah, Hux was definitely 
And, and, and Donald Gleason, I, I really enjoy him as an actor. I think right before, it's either right after or before uh, with Oscar Isaac in, uh, was it Deus Ex or Ex Machnia? Ex Machnia, like the, the film about, you know, robots and, and artificial intelligence, like excellent performances from both of them. And so, and, and you know, being a prominent actor's son, I was very curious to see, like, if he was actually a good actor. And from, and I know the answer was yes from what I'd seen. But, uh, I remember seeing him and, and also kind of thinking, like, who is this character? Uh, he's 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 not giving lip, but he's the only one that's not afraid of Kylo. And and I, I took him as like the Grand Moff Tarkin of this film. And and that speech you mentioned right before they fire the moon, whatever the planet, like the, the new Death Star weapon. I What I loved about that is that one, it was obviously going back, like I said earlier, calling back to those World War Two images of Hitler giving those uh, those patriotic and propaganda speeches. But what I loved about his performance is it starts off just as, you know, very kind of like Patton, just like weird, like very authoritarian. And, and this is what we're doing and we're going to. But it just progressively and adds subtly and more subtly. It starts to become he's screaming with like insanity and just anger and just we're going to wipe we're going to wipe the rebellion and the Republic. And, and this is going to be the day that everyone remembers the first order. And he's just screaming. And you're like, wow, this acting is phenomenal. And, and then we get those moments when Kylo and I, at first I thought they were like good for, they, they had went through like some Academy together or something. Like they were kind of like bickering, like brothers, like how Brian and I bicker. And in like, and when we meet Snoke, which we'll talk to we'll talk about in a minute, but when the, we get that first introduction of, uh, I think, or later in the film, when Snoke says, oh, you didn't get the map, you didn't, but you brought this girl who was resisting you. And then Hawks walks in and says, he messed up. Look at me. Like, dad, look at me. I'm the better one. And so I always took him as a kiss ass, but he could get a job done and, and definitely a threat that I was really excited to see how he was, you know, how he progresses the character in the next films, which we'll get to when we, when we get to that. Yeah, and just going one more time, going back to that speech, you, you said it perfectly. You know, he starts off with what seems to be just a, a general addressing his troops and then progresses. You know what? Let's just play it right now. Today is the end of the Republic. The end of a regime that acquiesces to disorder. At this very moment, in a system far from here, the New Republic lies to the galaxy while secretly supporting the treachery of the loathsome resistance. This fierce machine which you have built, upon which we stand, will bring an end to the Senate, to their cherished fleet. All remaining systems will bow to the First Order! And we'll remember this as the last day of the Republic. So as you can hear through that, you know, it, it be, he becomes so passionate. Like he, he's not only telling this to, to, to pump up, boost up morale, like, hey, look what we're about to do. He so in his bones believes in what he's doing. And I just, again... Mm -hmm. That speech was one, I just think, one of the more epic moments of the Star Wars franchise. So oh, yeah. let's talk about 
the emperor type character, or the guy I assumed was the new emperor, and and that was Supreme Leader Snoke. Uh-huh. No idea who he was. Don't I have no idea if he is in any of the the canon fiction between that came out after Return of the Jedi, the three hundred books that were written. I I have no idea. I'm going to assume no. If I'm, yeah, me too. If, if I'm incorrect, I'm sure that the you know people will let me know, and I invite I invite them to let me know. I'd love to know. We talked about the practical use of effects and, and the CGI. This was the one character I think I was having kind of a hard time with, even though he was supposed to be a hologram. Mm-hmm. I, I I wasn't buying the CGI on that, even though that's Andy Serkis, and you know we all know that he's the the, the greatest motion capture art uh, actor out there. I took a little bit of issue with with the CGI. I just didn't think it was working, even as a hologram. Uh, It didn't look like a practical effect that was being projected. That being said, we don't know much about him. His character is just slightly established in The Force Awakens. And that will kind of... I want to hear your thoughts on Snoke, just your thoughts on him just in this film. And then I want to kind of have a series of questions I want to ask you as far as what this film is setting up in the quote-unquote trilogy. Yeah, and so talking about Snoke real quick, I remember seeing him and being like, and it was weird because some of the people I'd seen was like, was Snoke really that big? And immediately I was like, no, this is a dude that is trying to appear bigger than he really is. And and it just, and obviously that it, it reminded me of like Lincoln sitting in his chair at the memorial. And and oh, that's good, by I, the way. That was good. I didn't. I, that was sorry. I'm saying that was good. The good reference right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, and that's just how I how I, I just, you know, very envisioned it. And just kind of appearing like this bigger than like, like he's he's making himself seem bigger than he is. And so but I remember also kind of thinking like you have Andy Serkis and we've seen all of his work from and he's done everything. He's played and he's played Caesar in the Planet of the Apes movies, which were amazing or his performances were amazing. And that motion capture he played, you know, Gollum, famously Gollum and Smeagol and like and, and watching that and just really getting ingrained in that character. He played King Kong in in Peter Jackson's Kong, which was awesome to even I I I'd known that as I watched the special features and stuff. And like, I'm like, wow, of course, Andy Serkis did that and gave that personality to Kong and, and, and all of his other acting stuff. And but yeah, it kind of threw me like, obviously, if you have Andy Serkis, you you want to push that motion capture. But I think a lot of people kind of forget that Andy Serkis is a phenomenal actor and a very like a state like a state he's got he's got that um that bravado and that 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 presence that I think he just really commands it and so I definitely thought it was interesting playing this as a motion capture because I thought that there were two scenes in this movie that I thought the CGI really didn't work that well and it was Snoke and when we get those like balls of mo- those monster balls, whatever they are, like the big scary monsters with uh, oh, the, raptor- Han- the raptors or whatever. Yeah, they're yeah, it. yeah, the, the, yeah, the raptors or whatever, whatever they're yeah. called. Like those things didn't work for me. But and I think it, that's generally a lot of people that didn't work for them. But these were the two moments that I thought the CGI was weird, especially. And, and when we get into Rogue One with some of the stuff uh, with like the CGI, which we'll definitely talk about, I always thought that with those that they like re, digitally having those characters they should definitely be holograms because you can hide a lot in holograms but this is like the first hologram that's like an hd colorized hologram it's not the blue static going through it it's like a colorized image hd image so it kind of and him being like a hundred feet tall really kind of made me that uncanny valley came in and i was thinking yeah that's 
no matter how intimidating his, Andy Serkis's voice is and, and like the lighting and how dramatic it is, I just recognize that this is a CGI character and they're taught there and the actors are looking up speaking at a green screen. So Snoke, I was definitely intrigued by because I was like, oh, is this the new emperor? And I liked be- this in that he wasn't really fleshed out. He was just merely suggested as the villain. Like, oh, this is going to be the big bad of the trilogy. So... And I was and I was, and I was like, well, what's his relation to the Force? Is he a, is he just a master manipulator? Does he use the Force? Because uh, we've never seen anyone who's a ma- because all the masters are really in tune with the Force. So I was thinking that this guy was, you know, maybe just a manipulator, which he is, but with the Force, he's got like a really messed up face and head. He's he looks like he looks like he has had a rough history, which is interesting, uh, and that kind of goes into i also agreed with this theory that people were theorizing that he was darth plagueis which i was excited about but and that i'm kind of jumping ahead but yeah overall i thought that this was a really good introduction to this character that he wasn't there physically but he still had this presence in the room i'm glad you brought up the darth plagueis part because that one i i kind of glossed over something that i wanted to mention and this this is perfect segue into that you know when lucas signed over control of Lucasfilm to Disney and Kathy Kennedy. From what I understand, he had an outline for episodes seven, eight, and nine. And Kathy Kennedy, and there, I have seen interviews where she, where she said, well, you know, we, we need George's input. This is George's world. He created it. We're going to be, you know, calling on him several times to make sure we get this right. And then I saw the 60 Minutes interview or the interview he did with Charlie Rose where he basically mm-hmm. said, hey, Disney told me to, you know, fuck off for a bag of... Yeah, like kick rocks. Yeah, man. yeah. Like, get, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they basically, whatever is... And, and just recently in the past few weeks, you know, it's sort of leaked out what his ideas were for the new trilogy. You know, there was... It had something to do with, I hate to say it, like metachlorines and, and other things like this. You know, it was like, oh, George. You know, but so you kind of understand why they probably looked at his treatment and were kind of like, okay, you know what? We've got this under control. But I saw the Darth Plagueis theories surrounding Snoke. As interesting as they sounded, in my mind, I said, nope, this is never going to be, this is never going to happen because they are going to be distanced. When I say they, Disney and the new Lucasfilm executives will be distancing themselves as much as possible from anything related to those prequels. Mm -hmm. So I... I didn't. I, I couldn't get into the Darth Plagueis theories as, theories as much as I wanted to because I said to myself, "There's no way. There's no way that Disney's going to do anything to call back to those prequels." Yeah, and it's a shame because, like, we, like, yeah, we, 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 ha- we threw a lot of shade at the prequels, but there were good moments and good story elements that could carry over. Which I thought Darth Plagueis would be one of those things, like because I think that was one of the more positive stories that came out of it, at least in my opinion, from those prequels, and and maybe it was just Palpatine lying, but I, I who knows because I don't know the EU and stuff, and I'm sure there's plenty of things in lore about Darth Plagueis, but I thought that would have I in my opinion I I thought that was a really interesting component of that film, you know, a guy who was so in tune with the dark side that he. He was the first one to overcome death and and found a way to be become immortal essentially. And that would have been really interesting because now we have a guy. And you know, the the last movie isn't out yet. And you know, 
So maybe he still is without getting to, before we talk about the last Jedi, I mean, maybe he still is, who knows, but I, I mean, I, I can still be hopeful, but I'm, I think I'm with you that I don't think he's Darth Plagueis after the last Jedi, but who knows? It's a shame that I, I can understand why Disney wants to really distance themselves from the prequels, especially the, the hate that they receive and, and how revered they were. But I still think that there were good parts of it. And I guess if they make the, I guess the only thing they're going to take from it is using Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. If, if that film, you know, is made, which we'll talk about at the end of this, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So before I want to, before we want to get into the unanswered questions leading into the last Jedi, we talk about some, some wasted characters in the force awakens. We talked about how Poe probably could have been utilized a little bit more. They clearly make up for that in in the Last Jedi, and we'll get to that. Captain Phasma, to me, I remember sort of leaving the theater, going, "Wow, you know, that was a whole lot of nothing." And yeah. that was really, to me, that was. And then again, we'll we'll get into it when we get to the Last Jedi, and uh, I'm like, "Well, I guess we're just gonna have to wait for Episode Eight because she, to me, I thought was a like a just a badass villain. Looked amazing. I mean, what an amazing looking you know uniform outfit." you know, armor that she had. And I was really excited to see what she was going to do. And I was very let down on that one. Yeah, me too. Because, and this was before I started watching Game of Thrones. So Gwendolyn Christie, who plays Brienne of Tarth, such a badass character in Game of Thrones. Like one of, like, I think fan favorites, one of my favorites. And she's, and so you get this great actress, a very physical, like great physicality in her roles to play. And also it's one of the first in my memory, I mean, outside of like Padme and stuff, but like a really strong or at least a female that's in such a strong and high part of the hierarchy of, you know, the empire, whatever, political, whatever. And she's really not used at all. I again, I just think she's there to look cool. And it sucks because it's a waste of a great actress who can who has such a dramatic range. And, and it would be a great foil for Finn. Yeah, it's just it's just wasted stuff. She's easily bested, which she shouldn't be, because she's this hulking mass of a of a woman, and she just irradiates just power. And then they and then Chewie tackles her, and then they throw her down. I get, I'm assuming they throw her down a a trash compactor, and then somehow she gets like. Well, then we find out she gets out in the next one, but it's just such a wasted character and. And, and I thought she had a lot of promise in, in the opening with just, you know, really com- – she was the commander of the squadron, and they were just following her every order, and then she doesn't come back in the movie until the end. But, and just, like, really – she doesn't even really appear at all. She just – she gets tackled, and she opens – she puts down the shield generator. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. whatever. And it strikes me that someone that high up in the military chain of command for the First Order – I would think that they would sacrifice themselves before they would ever turn off the shield. I mean, you're. I mean, just to me, I just just seems like if you're that far up, that far up the the chain of command, like you you would rather die than see the first order essentially get wiped out. So I just thought yeah, that was an interesting it, choice. Yeah, and yeah, she was definitely. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, she should have done so much more, and and she could, but yeah, like you said, waste another wasted potential character. So and, and it's disappointing because she was. She could she she could have been great, and with the actress, the look, because it was something new, and we got really nothing from it. We talked about the CGI of the the rapt raptors or whatever they were called. I agree with you. I didn't like the CGI on that. Yeah. I wasn't crazy about Snoke. 
the Maz Kanata did not work for me. Uh, was fine when she had her glasses on, but when she extended her glasses up, I did not think that CGI. Uh, that was that was a one moment. I remember that was seeing it on IMAX on the big screen, going, "Ooh, you know what? That that character is not the the actress who's playing her is wonderful. the <laughs> The character itself is very interesting, but I'm only criticizing the CGI itself as being, yeah. I thought, a little bit. I thought could have been proved. And you know what? With every bit of practical effects, every practical creature that was going on in her cantina, I just feel like she probably could have been better served as a practical puppet versus the CGI. Oh, yeah. I just that's that was and I, that was evident to me when I was watching the movie for the first time. But I guess, but I mean, maybe you're gonna bring this up too. I definitely wanted to, and because you know, Maz, we we brought here because of Han Solo. I did really like this, like kind of just real quick on her cantina, her. It's modernized the Moss Osley Cantina, and like here, it's like it's more of like a, a port. We have more diverse aliens, and I, and I love these bar songs that are played in these films. Um, my favorite one so far is the one in Solo because it's like this like smooth jazz, like kind of like Sinatra, Dean Martin. This was just kind of taking what we liked about the first one. It's just this new like modernized version of it. And I was like, it was a catchy beat. I liked it. I there's two things I want to talk about. I don't know if you're going to bring these up or I wanted to talk about Ray's vision when she touches Luke's uh, like her call, her call to action or whatever. And I also wanted to talk about the introduction or the reintroduction of our past heroes and then like get to the end of the film because that goes into literally like quite literally right into The Last Jedi when we get there. But so I guess we should start with um, the Ray's vision. I, I, what, what was your interpretation of that entire scene and because i thought it was i didn't i was not expecting that when i was seeing the movie so well, what was your your take on that well i'm just trying to i'm trying to because i've seen that scene several times now and i'm trying to bring you back to that moment when i saw it for the first time i you know you you get the visions of her as a very small child seeing you know essentially being left behind you get the, the glimpses of what are supposed to be the knights of ray Am I correct in this? Are we? Are, am, I, yeah, I I think those were the Knights of Ren. Yeah, I'm pretty. Knights I'm pretty of Ren. Sure. I'm saying right. The Knights of Ren. I I don't know. Like to me, oh, and so I'm so polluted by what's happened with the Last Jedi that I'm having a hard time. I'm trying to bring myself back to what was. I mean, obviously, I'm saying to myself, well, JJ's. You know, he's. This is all. This is not going to be resolved. We're almost two hours in the movie. So this is not going to be resolved by the oh, end yeah. of this film. So so there's there's just these glimpses of what's to come there's a way of him subtly saying i'm going to answer your questions about who erased parents what happened to her why was she abandoned you know what is her bond her connection with kylo ren who is she just a lot of teases for what was to come which is fine but this is my problem with jj and it's my problem with lost is is mystery box of and sometimes they don't get answered now i like this scene because you know we get a whole flashes of a lot of different things and i love the details of it you know having the both obi-wans coming back and and, you know saying ray and uh i mean (laughs) the first one obviously they just took a a segment a snippet of him saying afraid and they just took the ray of afraid but i mean it was so subtle like you you, honestly it took me like the third time to realize that something was said and then you get you know the 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 youngest version of obi-wan saying oh like this is your first steps and they're so faint and i love that subtlety and 
you know, when we get those flashes of, you know, who's our, who are Ray's parents? So I had my own theory, you know, even going into The Last Jedi. And they were – my theory was completely against the mainstream. You know, the the creation of Kylo with the, the Knights of Ren, which I – I don't know when that was because I, at first I thought it was when he burned down the Jedi temple, but he was in his garb. So I didn't really, and, and we'll get back to the Knights of Ren in the next film we talk about. Um, so just put that on the back of your, back of your mind. But then we get her going through like this, the star destroyer, I guess, which I thought was just symbolizing the, like the dark side or something. And then, and then we get back and she's like, I don't want this. I don't want this. The classic refusal of the, of, of the call to action and so, I, I mean, I kind of liked it, but again, it's that I was like, this is the classic mystery box that quite, he has. I'm, quite literally a mystery box this time. I mean, and that, that I was it, it literally, that's what's opened up is JJ with that damn mystery box. But he, well, yeah, it's, he, it's, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't have the answers yet. That's what I yeah, love about and, the mystery box. He, he's just, he's going to basically pose 30 questions, which he doesn't actually have the answers to yet. And it's great because, like, yeah, yeah, you literally said it's a mystery box. But what's the even bigger mystery that isn't ever brought up is, like, how did this lightsaber get here? And she says, oh, that's a story for another time. I'm like, yeah. that's bullshit. Like, because I, I didn't – I just thought it got lost in, like, in the Cloud City and, and like, some – maybe the Stormtroopers found it. But apparently it gets lost in the gas planet itself. So people are like, wait, how did you, how did you get that? That's so crazy. Did you manifest, like, did you use the force to manifest the object? I don't know. I, and we're never going to get that answer because it doesn't matter essentially. Um, which I like and don't like at the same time, because you can't just be, you can't pose the question and then not answer it in my opinion, which is my problem with JJ Abrams, like with his writing, although like I can forgive him for it. Cause I, I go along with the story. I give, I give the plot that contrivance, but I do want to know, like, how did you get that, that, that lightsaber? But, um, so I guess that, that was that, that literal mystery box, but I guess real quickly, cause we've been talking for like an hour about the last Jedi or the force awakens alone. And we still have, but three other films to talk about. So uh, just the reintroduction of that's what, yeah, that's uh, what I want to get to is the reintroduction of the classic characters. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're first introduced to, to Han and Chewie, you know, uh -huh. well, actually we're first introduced to the millennial Fal millennium Falcon. That was great. Great little I, scene. I, I can't believe I didn't see, I didn't see it coming where they're like, Oh, what about that ship? That ship's garbage. And then, like, this other ship, oh, we'll take the garbage. And then I was like, oh, I can't believe it. was perfectly gift-wrapped for me to see that. And and I I, I have to admit, I, I laughed out loud when I saw that. Just of like, that's great. I love it. I love that reveal. And then that kinetic fight through uh, Jakku and, and going through the Star Destroyers and stuff. It was, it was very energetic. I loved it. It was very – it was modernizing that first, uh, like, Finn on the on the, gun, on the turret below and, and Ray pulling off those awesome uh, – you know, piloting moves and stuff like that was, I loved it. But so yeah, the first character, I guess we could, we could say was, uh, was definitely the millennium Falcon. And, and we got an opportunity to see how that ship was really flown because this was the first time like air, you know, in the first, in a new hope, you see Han pull one lever when they jump to light speed, but you see her just flipping switches and, and moving bars back and forth. And I mean, she's, you actually get a sense that she's actually piloting this millennium Falcon because there's been so, in the previous uh, original trilogy, you really didn't get that sense of how they were actually flying the ship. So I appreciated that. So, oh yeah, I I completely agree. So we get the introduction of Han and Chewbacca, and of course we 
briefly touched on it last week where we said, you know, Han Solo went through that period of having a stick up his ass and was very reluctant to even want to do this movie and only agreed to it if, oh, let's just say anyone that's listening to this right now, if you haven't seen The Force Awakens or any of the Star Wars new movie, movies, spoiler, spoiler alert for, oh, yeah. for all the films, but he only agreed to do this if they killed his character off. But I'm going to tell you right now, I I thought he was great. I thought he was perfect oh, in the film. I thought yeah, he was. I thought he was awesome. I thought it was one of the best performances, the best portrays portrayals of Han Solo. I just I just thought he was great. He was he had that because he was clearly in his 70s at this point because he's 75 now. So, but he sort of had that. I want to say that 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 kindness that sort of comes with older age, you know, mm-hmm. and but yet he has been through so much. It, it was just I just found his character to be very enduring in this film, not as cocky as he had been in A New Hope and and the other ones because I think age has sort of mellowed him out a little bit and I think he realizes that you know there are more important things in life. I mean that, that was just, oh, yeah. these were just all the things I was picking up from his character, kind of like a grandfather type type of performance. And I, I really did, like, I thought some of the humor with him worked as well. Like, I, again, another one of my favorite lines is when he's like, oh, like, I'll talk, like, when he's like, he's like the Irish mob and like the, the Chinese mob on either side. And, and he's like, oh, I'll just talk my way out of this. And it's like, oh, like, when have I ever, you know, wronged you? And it's like once, twice. And he's like, what was the second time? I just love that banter. And Chewie's just like, oh, come on, man. Like, this is not working. <laughs> and yeah, he just and and then him taking Chewie's uh, crossbow. And and I, he's like, oh, I really like this thing. Like, I, I love mo- or that one moment when um when they're all in a Death Star. And he's like, all right, how are we going to do this? He's like, oh, I was I was a janitor. He's like, you were a janitor. He's like, oh, we'll use the force. He's like, that's not how the yeah. force works. Like, I love, I it's like it's just moments like that. We're just like he's having fun with the role, and and I thought it worked with like I mean, it's kind of depressing seeing Han just like this kind of this wash up this washed up smuggler just kind of getting by. But that kind of works with the character, and I think that's in this world that kind of makes sense. Like he lost his son to the dark side or so, so we think at this point we think his son has lost his, his marriage with, well, I guess his marriage with Leia, I can say it's strained or it's complicated, I guess. Cause they're not, it doesn't seem like they're divorced. They still love each other very much. I got that from their interactions, but he's very conflicted. He blames himself and he, and he ran away, which is, you know, I don't think Han Solo would run away, but I think it's he's just a, he's a realistic com- complex character that doesn't know what to do with his like you know his son and his family and it's and it's that whole thing of but I don't think the under like the father being a father isn't really or like that struggle is explored which I feel like it should be in Star Wars uh, with you know these these father son relationships that are always present throughout the films in some capacity whether it's the original with luke and vader the prequels with i would say anakin and obi-wan you know that surrogate father relation because because obi-wan essentially raised anakin and from uh 9 10 11 to whenever he be whenever their fight at lucifer and then this newest one i well this with this film with uh with kylo and 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 Han. So I, I like the reintroduction. I thought it worked really well. And I thought that it was, 
it was kind of a downer worked in the context of all the events that had gone on that and that we'll soon find out in the next future films and that goes as far as with with leia as well like she yeah. like she's still the the general leading the rebellion and stuff like that and luke was a non was a non-character in this so i guess we can't really say anything about him in this film specifically well, other than he exiled himself yeah and i i have to tell you you know i'm you know, you touched on the Leia one. That one kind of felt it, you had to have Carrie Fisher in her, but her role just seemed almost like fan service to me. Like it was like, yeah, we got her for two days. Let's just go ahead and shoot a few things. Like it just, it, it didn't. I would have liked to have seen her in a much more, much bigger role, which you know we we get in the you know the the subsequent episode eight. R two is literally a non factor in this movie until the very end. C three PO makes one appearance with the red arm again. Mystery box, red arm, never answered. Why does why does C three PO have the red arm? I was just took that that he needed a replacement sure. and it was just like a throwaway gag. Well, he says but... he says literally says you're probably one you probably didn't recognize me because of my red arm. You know, uh, like you know, just you know. So those that that's all that's all. Funny. I thought it was for toys. Like oh, oh, he's got a red arm. It, it now. was though. You're absolutely right, Mike. It was 100 percent for toys because everybody's already got the regular C three PO. Now we've got to have the red arm C three PO. Yeah. So 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 the, you know so with those you know the introduction of the characters like. Again, I was getting a sense from watching The Force Awakens that that we're moving on from them. In some cases, we're being forced to move on from them with the, with the death of Han Solo. But I really thought Luke was going to play a much more integral role in this film. I mean, I it wasn't until I kind of glanced at my watch, knowing that the movie was two hours and 15 minutes long, and we're seeing this, you know, epic lightsaber battle on the Starkiller base between, between Rey <laughs> and Kylo Ren. Like, I just thought that was fantastic with the trees getting, you know, the trees are getting knocked down by the lightsabers. I thought that was a lot of fun. But I'm looking at my watch going, okay, there's only like nine minutes left in this movie and we haven't seen Luke Skywalker yet. And I know he's listed on the IMDb credits. And I was, that was, I was getting a little bummed out because I have to tell you, like we mentioned last week, that was my childhood hero. I was, he was top bill too. He was, he was doing like, all the press promotion. Yeah, you're like, why is Mark Hamill doing like he's getting in shape for the role yeah. and like you're like, oh sweet. And then he's not which I think is good. I think it works for this film that he's not in it because it builds that anticipation for the next one. And then we'll talk about that. But I think in the context of this film, not knowing what The Last Jedi was and what they're gonna do with the character of Luke, I thought it was effective that he was like a non entity in this movie. I honestly wish they didn't bill him at all, like kind of like Kevin Spacey in Seven. Like he just shows up and you're like, oh, hey, is it him? Is it not him? But then it's like, oh, it's it's him. I thought it was effective in the context of the film that he wasn't at all in it. I mean, did I want him in it? Yes. But I thought it worked narratively and dramatically for that that last closing shot of like the sweeping through the Jedi Island Temple thing. And so, you know, that's. That's I, I mean, I, I thought it was I, I think what's good about this film is that since you needed to tell people, yes, like remind people what Star Wars felt like and that they are competent and they can do it. Whether that's again, we, we mentioned the Death Star in the room, re, literally almost verbatim retelling the story of A New Hope. And we, even with Han saying, oh, there's always there's always a way to blow it up. And and, and there's retelling that. But also it just is a way to let the viewers know like where we have you you can trust us with star wars and and i think that's kind of needed just remind people why you love it and then moving on to these next two films 
or the subsequent films of whatever Star Wars uh, spinoffs or the trilogies, like, okay, now do your own thing. So I thought it was okay in, in this context that we brought back those those characters and kind of retold the story just to remind people, yeah, this is why you love Star Wars. Now, trust us, we're good to go. Like the Starkiller base to me, that was obviously, it was even on the damn poster for the movie. I mean, I was just like, and I remember sort of going, so we've got another Death Star? You know, I was, I was... I was a little puzzled by that, but I've always sort of taken, I won't say exception because I think people are correct when, when they say, you know, this is basically a, a remake of A New Hope. I, I see I see more differences than I do similarities, but the, but the similarities that I do see are so blatant that mm-hmm. it's hard to ignore them. Yeah. Uh, right down to the... X-Wings going right into the trenches of the Starkiller base, like with that exact same shot, POV shot of an X-Wing going into the trench. And I went, oh, okay. So yeah, that's like, I see both sides of the argument. I always, I guess there's a part of me that, that wants to say, no, I see more differences than I do similarities, but the similarities are more glaring. And so that's kind of always been my position on it. I think the new characters save the film for me in a sense that I think they're just so charismatic. Okay. You said it best last week. Always leave them wanting more. Okay. And that when The Force Awakens was over, that last shot of Luke, I was, I'm telling you, I was in. And I was only going to have to wait two years. I couldn't give a shit that there was going to be a standalone Star Wars movie. I wanted to know how this story continued. And to me, that was, that was accomplished with this film. Similarities are not to A New Hope. I was in. I can only yeah. speak for myself, but apparently it's now the second highest grossing film of all time behind Avatar. I think it just recently surpassed Titanic, or maybe it's the third, but it's oh. it's it's crossed the $2 billion mark. It's, it's the second or third highest grossing film of all time, which tells me that we were all, we all wanted this. And I think the majority of us, majority of us walked away satisfied. Oh yeah, I would say so too. There seems to be a little bit more hate and vitriol for the film now as the years have gone by. <laughs> Which, Which is odd. It is. It is. Because you said it perfectly. Like, we're going to reestablish this world. We're going to reestablish the world we want with practical. We need a little bit of CGI to tell the story, but we're going to go back to basics. We're going to go back to interesting characters, likable, charismatic characters, because that's what was missing from the prequels. Even Obi-Wan, who was, I think, the best part of the prequels, he wasn't that charismatic. He had a couple good lines every once in a while. But I was in fully invested in Ray, in Finn, in Poe, in Kylo, in Hux. So, you know, if people want to say that, hey, it's the same movie, it's not. It's not the same movie because the characters are different to me. Yeah, and I, I do. I, I agree with all those assessments. And it, and it is weird that people are like now hating on this film, on, on The Force Awakens, because when it came out, everyone was like, it, it just it redeemed Star Wars, ready to go. And I think that's why I think... I was excited for Rogue One to see what, you know, with these spinoff stories. Let's see what Disney does with these spinoffs, which I guess if we can segue into now the spinoffs and what our opinions of, of them are. And, and now now the whole history is thrown up in the air. I saw The Force Awakens four times in the theater. Loved it. Quickly bought it when it came out on Blu-ray. Probably watch it. Probably pop it in once every two months. Because it's just mm-hmm. a fun movie. that I, I really enjoy it. By April of 2016, we got our first teaser trailer for the very first standalone Star Wars anthology film. 
Now, this is where things got a little, I started to get a little bit concerned because I said, okay, here's Disney doing the Marvel thing. All right. They're going to make these standalone films like they do in the MCU. And then the big culmination will be the Avengers type thing. So we're going to get a bunch of these Mm. Star Wars anthology films. And then the trilogy episodes, the main episodes, those are going to be like the Avengers. That's how I was putting that comparison. I said, they're going to use that formula. And, you know, we're going to end up getting one of these movies once a year, maybe even twice a year. Having said all that, when I saw the first trailer for Rogue One, I said, well, that looks really interesting. Uh-huh. I was I was immediately like, well, I want to see this movie. This this looks, even though we knew the outcome. So this is the story of how the Rebels stole the plans to the Death Star. And then I realized yes. who was directing the movie. And I got a little bit hesitant with Gareth Edwards. Because 2014's Godzilla was a movie that I saw opening weekend because I was I was all in. I was all in. And I think Gareth unsuccessfully attempted the Spielberg model with Godzilla in the mm-hmm. sense the the Spielberg model when it pertains to Jaws in that don't do the big reveal until the third act of the film. Just tease the shark or tease Godzilla. And that was very prevalent and uh, mislead the the public as far as who the star of the movie is going to be, but that's completely that's a subject for a completely another another podcast. Yeah. Episode. So I was a little hesitant because I found Godzilla to be painfully boring until the third act of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a theme that I think I'll, I'll adopt with with Rogue One. But just give me your your thoughts. Force Awakens is over. We're we're going to be two years till we get our questions answered on that. We're now going to get our first Star Wars standalone film. What are your thoughts? Do you see the trailer for Rogue One? So. Again, when I saw when I, so when I saw the trailer for Rogue One, I was in, intrigued about well when I first heard that that's what they were making, I was like, oh that sounds kind of neat. Like we'll see what how that goes, how they how they play that along. But I again I was like I know how the story ends, and and I'm like how are they gonna like what is the point of the what is the purpose of making this movie? So because I, was like, I there's not I went into it thinking there's not going to be a lot of tension for me because ultimately I know that the rebels get the plans no matter how cl- nail bitingly close that it's inevitably going to be the rebels will get the plans and that's going to you know that's going to happen so going into the movie I'm like, okay so they have to be setting something up for the future films like the Marvel the Marvel idea why I think those Marvel films are so successful is they have they tell a standalone story but they're like it's building to a bigger event so I actually saw a theory on the YouTube channel film theory and and he had proposed that the Rogue One cast was actually the Knights of Ren I, I won't go super in depth with it because he like does this breakdown he actually has you know a sound theory uh, going into the character designs and and what the Knights of Ren look like and I was like oh like this would make sense and his theory was that the characters, you know, they successfully got the plans off and then they are captured and then indoctrinated. And so because and he was like, well, this would make sense, because what's the point of the film? If if there's nothing, if if, if you're just telling the story that, you know, the ending to what's the point? And I was like, yeah, you're right. And then we and then I remember Brian saw the movie first because, I again, waiting for to see with my dad and and Brian saw it opening weekend. And I was like, oh, like, here's this theory I saw. And he immediately goes, it's not that theory. I'm like, what, why do you say that? And he's like you'll find out why it's not that's not true i'm like okay and then i go in and see the movie and i was actually re-watching it for uh, the other actually yesterday night for this uh this discussion because i 
am very adamant, and I know last week I was just, I was really teasing that I have strong convictions about Rogue One, because Rogue One is everything that I simultaneously hate and love about Star Wars. And this, honestly, is my least favorite film out of them all. Now, that's not to say that it's not competently made. It's got some great action. Uh, it's got that attention to detail. But it's it's just it's pointless. And it's, it's everything I dislike about Star Wars. And, like, the fans. And, and the fan base as well. But it's just, ugh. I, we're, I'm probably going to get a little heated and, and, and very emotional when we talk about this film. Well, I was watching the, again, we're... Endlessly referencing Red Letter Media, and when they said that Star Wars Rogue One is the greatest Star Wars fan film ever made, I thought that was that was a very interesting point. Uh, before we get into the you know the, the 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 do's and don'ts and the who's and what's of of the film itself, I actually saw the movie opening weekend, and and I think I mentioned this when I did the episode. I did a just brief little my thoughts on the film. I hope I don't contradict myself because I've seen it three or four times since then. But my my sense from when I saw the movie the first time was that it was painfully boring for the first two acts of the film. And that by the time we get to, you know, the big battle on Scarif to to get the plans, I was so fatigued from just how uninteresting the characters were to me that I wasn't fully vested in any of them that I, I kind of was just waiting for us, okay, Let's just get this over with. Kind of like the scenario that was happening with uh, episode three, Revenge of the Sith, when they're fighting forever. I'm like, okay, let's just get this over with. I know what's going to happen. Although, to be fair, the visuals in Rogue One and that third act, you know, grand battle, phenomenal. I mean, I mean, oh, you yeah. want to talk about CGI looking one to one, like it looked like this stuff looked great. And that's not to say that all the characters were uninteresting. I found a couple of them to be, you know, like Donnie Yen and his sidekick. I thought those two characters were kind of interesting. But I don't want to get into that just yet. I just want to basically say that I thought the movie was exactly what I was afraid it was going to be, given the fact that it was a Gareth Edwards film, because that was kind of what I had come to expect after seeing Godzilla. Now, come to find out, I think it was July of 2016 that, you know, the news starts coming out that Disney's ordered massive reshoots on Rogue One, essentially going to reshoot the third act. Now this is, and they're bringing in acclaimed writer Tony Gilroy, okay? And he basically comes in and rewrites it and basically directs the movie. Gareth played ball. Gareth could have put up a fight, but he directed, he basically directed the, the, redirected the third act, got paid $10 million for that, by the way. And this is where I want to talk about briefly the fact that uh, 50% of the trailer was not in the movie. Yeah. And that was the first time I had ever really seen that. So there's a lot to talk about. I feel like I'm all over the place right now, but... No, it's it's de- because I, I agree. Like, the trailer definitely was... I don't want to say misleading because, I mean, like you said, 50% of that really wasn't... It, it wasn't in the film as... And you're just like, this is not the movie that was marketed to me. Like, I thought this was going to be, you know, I thought Felicity Jones's character was going to have this really deep internal struggle with, is she a double agent? Is, is it, I thought there's going to be like more of this mystery and, and kind of nuance to the film. And there wasn't any, just based from the, um, like uh, one thing I remember was like pairing Forrest Whitaker's character 
who was bald in the trailer, but then has this like big gray like fro. And he's like, oh, like say it's a, and it's weird because it's the exact same lines. Like, oh, like save the dream, like keep the rebellion alive. And then, and then she's like, oh, you don't know who you are, something along the lines of that. And it and it cuts to her in like an imperial uniform. And you're like, wow, like this is gonna be like a really nuanced tale of, of I don't know, talking with the Empire and the dark side, and and maybe a character that isn't really exactly force sensitive as you know Luke and Ray are. And being in tune with the dark side, and we didn't get that. So the the, the trailer was misleading, and then we get the film, and and for one, I, I like I said, it's very well made. I think the tone is something that I really do like that they're yeah. going with it, like this dark and grittiness, and I, and I love kind of this idea that we're, we're seeing a world that is that doesn't have a lot of humor in it, and and in a story like this, it's essentially just a war zone the whole time, but and there's that droid like K2SO. I thought he worked. I thought that's really all the the co- the comic relief I needed in this film. I know some people were like it, the jokes don't work. I thought he was the best character of the film. But there's just I have so many problems with this movie. It's on a narrative level and and the fact that it doesn't contribute anything at all. And then it's it's interesting like Rogue One starts to spark these debates of of uh, of ethics in filmmaking and and when is too when is enough with with uh with you know with tarkin and and princess leia at the end of the films like should you be allowed to digitalize actors that have passed away and is that okay like do you have to get permission like it's now we're in an age where in filmmaking that these questions would did not exist back in the 70s when the when the first trilogy was created but i, I don't know I, I don't even know where to begin with this film well, I'll start. I'll start by saying that after I, you know, saw the movie, I, it, I got a lot of pushback after I released that episode. Basically, kind of being one of the few negative voices out there saying, you know what, I, I didn't really like this movie at all. Like, it, it didn't have, didn't have the magic that I thought the Force Awakens has. Like, it didn't have the the sense of adventure. It had more of a sense of dread about it. Mm-hmm. But, and this is not a spoiler. Maybe it is a spoiler for when we talk about The Last Jedi, but I have come to respect the movie a hell of a lot more because of a point you had just brought up. The tone of the movie is consistent and unwavering throughout the entire film, and that is something that I've really begun to study more in filmmaking is is tone, the t- tone of a movie. How I think that really does impact how we enjoy a film tone can psychologically play with us you know if we're if it's a very serious film and then you just throw a stupid slapstick joke in there it takes you out of it for a moment and mm-hmm. i give rogue one credit for being tonally intact throughout the entire film so with that being said i'm that movie bumped up on my list as far as being you know it moved way up on the list as far as some of the other films are concerned but i i tell you what what really bothers me more than anything is that damn trailer. I mean, you've got scenes where, you know, you've got stormtroopers walking through the water. You know, they're in knee-deep water. Like, there's all these scenes that are not in this trailer. The amazing scene of Felicity Jones walking all, way up on the skyway, and all of a sudden a TIE fighter just comes right up in front of her. Like, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see that in the movie. Like, how the hell are you going to get out of that situation? Mm. None it of, is not. None of that <laughs> was in there. But given... 
it's amazing how future movies can change my perspective of a film. It's it's amazing how I'll just say it's amazing how The Last Jedi changed my perspective of Rogue One and made me appreciate the film a lot more. Even though it like you said it contributes nothing to the narrative of the story. If anything, that doesn't really change it too much, but it was a story nobody asked for. And it's yeah. filled with a lot of fan service. Too much fan yeah. service. Which a lot of people said about Solo as well. Like they're trying to because I say this is a story that no one asked for. And that's what I thought about Solo as well. And just kind of like giving like a little tease about that. What yeah, going into Solo, I was like, yeah, this is a story that I didn't need. But then as I watched it, I had a completely whatever I had, the reaction I had to Rogue One, I had the inverse of solo where I was really into it and take the ending for what you will. I thought that that kind of adds like it. You're now you have a jumping off point for another story where this, I was just like, I thought the characters were so I didn't, I didn't like them. There was no charisma between them. And we are going from the force awakens where the charisma was everywhere between every characters with, with Kylo Ren and Hux and Finn and Ray and, and Han, Chewie and, and like the, the core four. And, and now we're going to a film that there's like no chemistry between any of the characters. I don't care about any of them. The, I, I, I'm try I don't really, there's no tension because like in the end of the movie when they have the plans and now granted the end of the movie was really badass And I think that that's how the movie should have ended it's, it doesn't make sense in the context of the film. So if you were to watch these films chronologically, it, it kind of makes the beginning of A New Hope pointless. So the end of the film of Rogue One, like kind of jumping around, but we get Darth Vader just being a total badass like he's from like Battlefront 2 when you can play as him. He's force choking people, slicing people in half, slicing and dicing. It was awesome. Don't get me wrong. But – and like, and it's and it's a very – competent scene i think that was one of my favorite scenes and in, in sequences because it, it reminded me of of just like i felt the terror and dread of these soldiers that were stuck in front of vader and he and they have something that he wants and they get the shit and they get the plans to leia and then they disembark from the ship and and you get this weird scene of like oh here are the plans what is it and then she turns around and says hope and then they and then darth and they're flying away and darth vader steps out of the balcony and sees them fly away and jump the hyperspace. And then you jump to New Hope, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. We're on a diplomatic mission. And and now you have the context of the scene, and you're like, there's like 50 dead dudes on the ship back where I just came from. And I saw your ship jump into light speed. I chased you. So it's just it's like, come on, man. It, it just kind of hurts the character of Leia to me. And and it just doesn't make any sense when you look when you actually like think about it for a second. But I don't know how else this film would have ended because I thought it was a very energetic way to end the film. But again, that kind of encapsulates like I didn't think anyone was really thinking about the story. They were just thinking about how much Star Wars shit can we throw into this movie? Uh, you know, I think the Red Letter Media has the best for their review of Rogue One. The first like three minutes is just them screaming Star Wars like satirically. But like Rich Evans, just like ATST, Star Wars lightsaber, and then like Jay and Mike are like, "Oh, I saw Darth Vader! I clapped because I know what Star Wars is." <laughs> and like I think that just encap encapsulates what just like what Rogue One was, and they they nailed it perfectly. Now, not to say there isn't 
this is a competently made movie and like the action was really great but there's just no it was just so superficial to me i think this is the visually the best looking star wars movie of them all like i i i think uh, from from a, a film that I have always been the biggest proponent of CGI. I think too much CGI ruins a film. But this movie, I, I thought when it was practical, it looked great. When it was CGI, again, one for one, looked amazing. And I again, I give this movie the highest marks for visual presentation, for audio presentation. I thought it sounded amazing. Again, a movie I saw in IMAX. I thought it looked and sounded amazing. It didn't have the Star Wars magic that I love, but it really, you know, it it's it's not a terrible movie by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination. I will still, and this isn't hope not giving away too much of my list, I'll still rate this one above the prequels for, for my personal preference. Can I you mentioned the CGI. What did you think of both Tarkin and and Leia. Okay, you know film. what? You, you know what? You're, I deserve to be called out for that because if I'm gonna say <laughs> if I'm gonna say I love the CGI and I'm, I'm immediately I'm thinking of the Battle of Scarif and and you know the the battle in space and I just thought that just all looked amazing. Okay, Grandmarth Tarkin looked like shit, and yeah. I don't know why everyone thinks Leia looked bad because I thought the Leia one looked pretty damn good. So I think Leia looked better because she wasn't. It wasn't focused on her that much. I think what was good is she was. It was a white setting. She's a white woman. She has a it's a yeah it's like literally everything around her is white and it's also like a 10 second scene when she turns around uh i think when she said hope it looked weird but like her as like a portrait it looked it was it was fine it should have been just 10 seconds and that's what i think that that digital aging stuff should be is like very quick because we're not at that point of technology yet where because your eye is going to catch on to it and like the whole thing with tarkin it's like, yeah, it was awesome seeing him. And, and, and like, honestly, it is amazing that they were able to reconstruct him and do these things. But what confuses me is that this this facial – well, maybe that was just – yeah, it's the facial recognition. Like, I'm thinking of David Fincher's The Social Network with the Voss twins yeah. with um, uh, Arnie Hammer. Hammer. Yeah. Like, I didn't even – like, when I first saw that when it came out, I had no idea that that was the same actor. I thought it was twins that just were really in sync. Absolutely. And I I found out that – and it's seamless, and it's just perfect filmmaking. And, and I'm sure there's other films that have done it, and I don't understand. And, like, yes, I can see it's very ambitious, but to me it's so distracting. And, and, it, and it is, like, a technical marvel, but we're not there yet in forms of te- – like, if Disney can't do it, then no one can. At this point in the game, because they have a like a fucktillions amounts of money from everything, so like I, it just was so distracting to me. Like again, Red Letter Media, Rich Evans, best. He's just like, did he fall down the uncanny valley? And to me, it was just it just took me out of the moment, and I was so because I thought like the, the I I'm all I'm I'm the the main villain is escaping me, but I loved him in this film. And like the the orchestrator of the Death Star, and when he's like having those confrontations with uh, Tarkin, I was like, yeah, this is awesome, but it's taking me out because I just know that this isn't real, and it's not one of those things like, oh, I know he's dead, like uh, the that actor Peter Cushing is dead. No, it's just that it's not even that. Like I can get over that. It's that it just it just looks plastic and not and looks artificial, and it just t- completely takes me out of the moments, which are like. 
one of the best those segments with Tarkin and and in this in the villain invader like they're some of the most in my opinion one of the best acted moments and tension driven moments of the film but it's just I'm looking at this like artificial actor and it just I I hate it again I I can't stress enough how much better I like the movie after seeing subsequent films afterwards but again I I want to save that for for the next discussion that we have so I actually have the IMDb scores and the raw and tomato scores of the critic and the audience for all all the films that we're going to be talking about. So and I'll just read through them real quick because I wanted to see I mentioned this last week. I wanted to see the trends and if if there was if I could see any if like if I were to plot this on a graph, would I see something? And I think we're at the the point when we're starting to see a trend, but it's so early, like we don't have enough movies to really tell. So we'll start with the original trilogy, uh, Star Wars: A New Hope. On Rotten Tomatoes, it had a 93% for the critic score, a 96% for the audience, and an 8.6% on IMDb. And that's how I'm going to read it. So critic, yeah. audience, and IMDb. And that Empire IMDb Strikes- is – I'm sorry. That IMDb is that, – that's the meta score, correct? Is that how IMDb looks at that or uh, – I think the meta- Metacritic is different from what I understand. Okay. okay. But, I was um, just curious. I wasn't 100% sure how that works. So please, I'm sorry. Go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. So Empire Strikes Back, 95% for the critics, 97 for the audience, and 8.8 IMDb. Return of the Jedi, 80% critic, 86% audience, 8.3. Let me stop you right now there. Gonna... Yes, let me just stop oh, you right yeah. there so we can just look at that. So we're we're looking at Empire having the highest No Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, they, they it has highest for both. Uh it just for the audience, it just edged out New Hope from ninety-six to ninety-seven. And it edged out the critics by 2%. So from 93 to 95. So as we're going through this list, which which one are we giving, are you giving more weight to, audience or critic? That's tough. Like, which one do you go, okay, well, if the critics love it and the audience hates it or vice versa, is there ever, just, I'm just talking about in general for you when you're looking at reviews of films. It's, it's tough because for something like, okay, so I'm going to bring up A Quiet Place. I really didn't like that film. And it seems like the audience like love the film, and I and I don't know if I'm missing something and and why, but I I think I would lean more. Well, I don't know because I would like to lean more towards the audience, but I think the audience are just as I mean they're human. They can really buy into the hype. Like I can buy into a hype of a film as well. So, but the critics with certain films, like when we get the Rogue One, I think the critics really like you can get like a Beatty type movie and you know, the critics are going to like really love a movie. Uh, so I think it depends, but I think I would lean more towards the audience and see what they have to say. But because I think the I don't know, I think the critics can be a little, they have their own agenda. Whereas the audience is, is more, I think more visceral and they're, they're coming from like a place of their own selves where I think critics can have a hidden agenda in the films they're trying to push. Okay. Whereas, like, I think, yeah, I definitely think critics, like, if they, they might go into a movie, like, hating the movie, and they're going to write that they're going to hate the movie, whereas the audience, I think there's more leeway with that, but that's not to say the audience won't go into a movie saying this sucks, but, so, I think I'm going to go more with the audience, is my gut reaction. Gotcha, okay, so let's go into the um, prequels. The prequels? Okay. Yeah, so the prequels take a bit of a dip, um, so the Phantom Menace was a fifty-five percent critic, fifty-nine really? audience. Really, and, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to stop you right there because I wasn't expecting a fifty-five percent critic rating on that one. Because I can recall 
in 99, Roger Ebert naming it one of his 10 favorite films of the year. Wow. So, so that's in, that's interesting. So, okay. So I yeah. was, I'll be honest with you, that one, I wasn't expecting that much of a drop with The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Even though it's a movie's a mess, I just figured the critics back in 99 loved it. So please continue. Yeah. And so then we get Attack of the Clones was a 66% critic, uh, 56% audience, and a 66 and that, so a little bit better with the critics and relatively the same with the audience. And then Revenge of the Sith, 79% critics, which I knew, 65% audience, and then a 7.6 on IMDb. So it seemed to get better as it went on. And so there's that's the prequels. And so and now we get into the new ones. Should I mention the 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 Last Jedi? No, we're just or, let's just talk about the two that we've already covered, and we'll come back to this. So okay, so The Force Awakens was a ninety three percent critic, an eighty six percent audience, and an eight, a solid eight on IMDb, and then Rogue One was an eighty five percent critic, and eighty eighty seven percent audience, and a seven point eight IMDb. So these films, like I looked at this, and I don't really know why. Like, and that just shocked me. Like, everyone loved this film. And I I guess if I were to say, yes, as a Star Wars film, I would agree with those. But I don't view Star Wars on that. Like, I'm not going to say, like, oh, it has an, uh, a walker. It has star, uh, lightsabers. It has four stuff, whatever. But when you start taking in actually like, filmmaking and and the the narrative and the plot and the and the and the character interactions and the character development like it's not in my opinion an 85 or an 87 it's like i mean i don't i don't i, I won't even go what i would rate no, it no go ahead go ahead show. that's all right so so if i would rate this film i i don't remember what i gave it when i i, I don't think we were, were released the episode actually but if i were to rate it i would give this like a six out of ten or maybe even as low as a five and a half or like a 5.5 out of ten like i i really i don't know i i would really put it that low like i i really it just just i just it just i hate I, it just encapsulates everything that i hate about the star wars like it's just i don't think throwing iconography makes a good film you need that substance to, to go with you know the style well for me the biggest missed opportunity for me with Rogue One is something, again, you alluded to with, you know, what's so great about the MCU films is how each standalone film continues to interject something into the main thread of the series. Like, you're always getting something new introduced. And the big mistake I think they made with Rogue One is killing all the characters. If the characters would have survived... Then you would have had your reasons to tell more stories involving Jen Erso or Cassian or the uh, Donnie Yen character. You know, if these characters could have survived, Disney could have had their continuous once a year standalone films. What other adventures did this group that that basically formed to complete this task? They obviously have a huge bond now. They've been together through, through thick and thin. What other amazing adventures did they go on? That, to me, if those characters would have survived, I think the movie, I, I just think overall, I think it would have been a better experience. That's that's my opinion. That's, oh, I, I completely yeah. agree with you. I think if, I think what would have been the saving grace if, if there was a scene like that, like either the characters become the Knights of Ren and like we kind of, 
like we have i don't want to say that post credit sequence but like if instead of ending on that hopeful note like we end on kind of like it just stays totally consistent um not to say i didn't like the ending but like having that scene when they're captured and ending like if it, it would have been really ballsy to end on this just dark and dreary note of like maybe they get captured tortured indoctrinated and then they're the knights of ren because i think the reason they killed them off was because it's like well why weren't these these characters brought into the trilogy because they did this they performed this high stakes heist and this was disney's way of saying oh this is why they weren't brought up ever again because they were killed in the action which i Yes, is fine, but like ultimately, like nothing is again. Like there's nothing building to a bigger plot and and story. They're not adding anything to this universe. They're telling a story that is so self-contained and and you just can't. I, I don't know. I just didn't think the story needed to be told unless like unless something happened with these characters, whether they survived or they became the Knights of Ren or something else. Like if they survived, I think I would have definitely liked this movie a lot more. But they didn't. All right. Well, Mike, I think we'll we'll end it there. Because I think we've got a lot more to talk about when it comes to oh, the yeah. subject of The Last Jedi, which has become easily not only one of the most polarizing Star Wars films, but one of the most polarizing films I can re- in, in recent history that I can remember. And there is, you know, we spent over an hour talking about The Force Awakens. I can anticipate that our next conversation will probably only be on The Last Jedi. There's really that much to talk about when it comes to that. Oh, one. yeah. So, so we'll try to sneak solo in if we have time, but um, yeah. So because I I do think solo is deserves some mention because, and again, like tipping my I'll, and I'll try and work it in there, like tipping my like hand a little bit. I think solo is garnering all this unnecessary hate, and it's also triggering the this like subsequent how people how Disney is like furthering the Star Wars franchise because of how poorly. This film was received in a, in a box office sense and from, I think, more importantly, an audience perspective. But if, if we can get Solo in there, uh, yeah, we'll, And, and we'll we see, definitely but... will because I've, I saw Solo and I I didn't hate that movie. I didn't hate that movie at all. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. And I think it's honestly, it's, it's, it's shocking the amount of hate that movie's getting. It's shocking the amount of hate that... Kathleen Kennedy in particular is getting spend a little time on YouTube and just search solo and you'll and and solo videos and why solo sucks and why Disney why Kathy Kennedy has to be fired and there's hundreds of these videos and there's just so I don't get it yeah I I don't either but we'll get there but we'll we'll get there so so once again you want to just tell people a little bit about your podcast where they can find it and uh any social media that you want to throw out there yeah, of course. So, uh, like I mentioned last week, uh, we're on Twitter at, uh, like I said, still new to it. Don't really know like how the search bar works, but either uh, the Amateur Autors Pod or I think it's Autors Pod. That's I think that's like our our handle. And so we're on Twitter. Definitely can find us on on SoundCloud if anyone uses that at the Amateur Autors Podcast. iTunes, obviously, at the same name, the Amateur Autors. And uh, again, we're on Instagram. The amateur, the amateur tours podcast and Facebook don't really use those too much. Trying to get used Twitter more often, and yeah, like I said, I'm still. I think I'm gonna try and we with Jim Jim Hemphill. We had a two part conversation where we actually talked about the Last Jedi, and we didn't really go into the plot of it. It was more about the reception and and how people are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
I, we think overreacting to it. So I think we're definitely going to try and get that up by uh, July 20, uh, 23rd. So tomorrow at the time of this recording, uh, definitely still going to work on the abstract uh, YouTube series of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Got the Damien Giselle retrospective with Brian coming up. And I, I got a few trips, uh, tricks up my sleeve with, uh, you know, my new segment of what, I, what am I missing with films in my collection that I haven't seen, some war films, I'm actually looking at some horror films, I got a TV show. So, you know, we got, we got some things in the bag that if you guys are interested, oh, you can also find, you can also, as Dana does, you can email me at, uh, and give us some feedback at uh, podcast at gmail.com, and we would love to have that conversation with anyone and, uh, like what Dana has with his audience, we would love to have that. So that's uh, that's all my plugs for right now. And if anything new comes up next week, I'll be sure to let Dana and you guys know. Outstanding. All right, Mike, we'll talk again next week. And my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening. The How Is This Movie podcast is produced by Dana Buckler for Hidden Productions located in Ocala, Florida. Please follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at How Is This Movie. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash howisthismovie. Of course, you can always email the show with questions or comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, to become a monthly supporter of this podcast and gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else, go to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. You'll find and all the links to our social media in this episode's show notes.